Welcome back, everyone, and welcome to Industries in Motion podcast from RBC Capital Markets. A reminder, this podcast is where we explore what's new and what's next in today's fast-moving markets and industries to help you stay ahead of the curve. Please listen to the end of this podcast for important disclaimers. My name is Mark Odendahl, and I'm head of U.S. Capital Markets Research. I'm very happy to have Tom Narayan on the podcast today. Tom is RBC's global auto analyst, and he recently published a report or a primer on robo-taxis and how robo-taxis are going to develop in the auto industry and in global transportation. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Before we start, I would like everybody to know a little bit about Tom. Tom started at RBC as a research associate here in the U.S., then moved on for a lead analyst role in Europe a few years ago, where he started covering the European automakers and auto parts makers. And just recently, we presented Tom with the opportunity to move back to the U.S. and cover the auto industry globally. We think this is unique among Wall Street analysts to be able to cover the significant automakers in Europe combined with the automakers in the U.S. and educate investors around the disruption that the EV development is giving the global auto industry. Tom, let's get started on all the Q&A today about robo-taxis. Sure. And autonomy is a very kind of nebulous kind of term. We, we've actually had autonomy for several years. Most of us have it in our cars today. It's things like lane assist, emergency braking, cruise control. The industry, when we look at it, we really break it up into kind of five levels. Uh, really, the first three levels, these are where you need a human being that can, when needed, actually drive the car. And then you have two levels at the top, level four and five, these are where there is no human being needed to drive the car. Any person in the vehicle is simply a passenger. Today in the developed world, we're probably at level two going to three. We're not at the level or the stage where we don't need a driver. So maybe talk to me about some specific OEMs and where where some of those OEMs are and relate that to some of the bigger picture. It is interesting when you look at the OEMs, the premium OEMs are probably farther along as you would expect with autonomy, notably companies like Mercedes, which became the first ever OEM earlier in this year to get level three regulatory approval in it has it in Germany, California, Nevada. And that means you can drive the car in certain conditions, only on highways below 60 kilometers an hour, but you don't need to have your eyes on the road or your hands on the wheel in those certain conditions. You have BMW, which just recently got approval in Germany to have level two plus, which means you do have to have your eyes on the road, but you don't have to have your hands on the steering wheel up to 130 kilometers an hour. And of course you have Tesla, which has its FSD, it calls it full self-driving. It's FSD system, which is a level two plus system. It's allowed in the United States. You have to have your eyes on the road, you don't need to have your hands on the steering wheel. For the most part, though, most OEMs, especially in the mass market, are at base level two systems. Some of the stuff we talked about earlier, emergency braking, some park, medium parking assist, a cruise control, some lane assist. But it's really these premium OEMs in Tesla 
that are leading the way. So the viability of autonomous vehicles has been hotly debated recently. Could you sum up some of those debates and challenges that we've had in the near term and then kind of marry that with some of the long-term views? With autonomous vehicles, the main hurdles are two things. One is the tech and the second is the regulatory hurdle. So we think uh, that you'll have the tech actually solved first and then the regulatory hurdles. Usually regulators want to see a system that is close to 100% success rate. The problem that we're having with level four and level five autonomy so far is that it doesn't work very well in urban environments. There's a lot of random stuff that happens, right? Pedestrians, you know, animals, bicycles, etc., other humans. But we do find, and this is something that's very encouraging, is that on the highways, we're already pretty close to being there. In urban air environments, we're, we're pretty far away. We think, though, by the end of the decade, also agree with this, end of the decade, we'll get technologically there for level four in many large cities. And then regulatory, we think we'll need another few more years. That'll probably happen, we think, by 2035. For a regulator, what are they going to be happy about and excited about? And what are their concerns going to be? It really depends for a regulator where you're looking at. So in the U.S., it's really a state-by-state -state decision. You know, California or Nevada or Florida or even a Texas may be more aggressive to approving it than, let's say, other, other states. Um, and in Europe, it's probably going to take longer than any other place. And then China, we see regulators approving it quicker than any other place. So it also has to do with an attitude of utility, how the society views the utility. Fortunately, some there will be depths. And societies that we find in China, they're more willing to accept this. It's better for the society as a whole. Some states in the U.S. And then later on, you'll see it happen in Europe. But we think what will drive the regulatory argument is how many lives it'll save. You know, every year, two million people die in car crashes. A hundred million people are hospitalized. These vehicles will save up space in cities. A third of cities are used for parking and looking for parking. Uh, the average commute speed is 10 miles an hour. So it, it'll save up hundreds of millions of hours of productivity for people. So we think policymakers, the, and there's inertia for them to support it, but they will need enough that enough of a technological argument to showcase that, hey, you know, 94% of accidents are human error with, you know, these vehicles, it drops to like two or 3%, you know, so it needs to be a sizable number, but there's enough inertia for this to happen. And if it happens quicker, I do see politicians acting on it quicker. Let's continue to walk out the end of the curve here and talk about robo-taxi. How far out is that inflection point? And what role do you see robo-taxis serving? It is a long curve, admittedly. So 2030 is when I think you'll start seeing the tech being you know, readily available where the accident rate really is low enough that OEMs are willing to take on liability because it's so low. And then 2035, I think you get the regulatory approval, but it also becomes ubiquitous when there's an economic argument for it. Currently, we believe that the cost to make a robo-taxi is well over $100,000. Cost to make a, a mass market car is something like $20,000, right? So there's a huge spread in the cost to make the vehicle because of all the sensors and the tech that goes into it, such that the cost per mile cost for a consumer or, or for an operator of a robo-taxi, it's just too high right now. 
companies that have services for robo taxis are losing money. But we think by the end of the decade, the cost to make that robo taxi could drop dramatically. It effectively costs the same to make, maybe slightly more, but to make a, a regular passenger car. And on that basis, our math actually suggests that because it's increased usage and the, the utilization of a robo taxi, it increases so much. Actually, you know, a passenger car right now is only used 5% of the time. Most of the time, it's just hard. So the robo-taxi utilization and the fact that it costs the same to make the car drops to like 30 cents a mile, whereas the cost to own a private car is 50 cents a mile. So it's actually cheaper to own and operate a robo-taxi than to own a car. And we think once that economic argument is made, that's when companies like you know Tesla or you know Waymo or other companies, fleet operators will come up and try to make this business work. So it really it also has to be an economic argument in addition to a regulatory and tech one. You made the argument for the economics of a robo-taxi, but what about for the OEMs and margins and their ability to make money? It sounds like it's not a economic good decision for all of us to have cars. So that can't be good for OEMs longer term. So- I think what happens is there will be winners, there will be losers. So those folks who really go into the robotaxi business head first, they maybe try to own their own fleets or participate, how, maybe making the actual robotaxi, maybe they don't operate the fleet, but participate in this business could be handsomely rewarded, right? Because we've seen the profitability, it could be massive, right? Today, when you take an Uber, you pay, spend like $1.90 per mile. A private car costs you about 50 cents to own, but people are still willing to pay so much more because of the convenience. So imagine the cost of the robotaxi is 30 cents and you're able to charge 90 cents. The margins are massive, so it could be hugely profitable. So the other thing to note is every one robotaxi replaces five private cars. So if you're an OEM, you sell so many less cars, right? So you would think that would be bad. And just on that basis, it would be bad. You're selling far less cars. But the flip side is because it's so much more profitable, right? The auto business, you're making like mid single, high single digit profit margins. Operating a robo taxi, you could be making 50, 60% profit margins. So you may be selling less cars, but it could be making way more profit from running and operating this fleet. The only issue is, you know, how many OEMs do we have? 30, 40 car makers? Do we need that many companies making robotaxis? Like, when's the last time you cared what Uber picked you up? You don't care, right? So the value of the, of the brand maybe gets more commoditized. So a lot of smaller OEMs may go away. Maybe there's a lot of consolidation, but we do know for a fact, it will be less cars on the road, less cars made. And these OEMs who are best positioned to capitalize on this theme could make money hand over fist. But there also will be some companies that simply get gobbled up in this consolidation fest. All right, let's stay there and and dig a little deeper. Could you educate us a little bit on the strategy that Tesla has to capitalize on the growth in this space? So in recent months, what we've noticed from Tesla is a willingness to partner up and sell services to other OEMs. Typically, that doesn't happen. Usually, this is why suppliers exist. And we saw this happen with the charging infrastructure deals that Tesla made with Ford, GM, Rivian, and, and some others. A lot of automakers are selecting Tesla's charging infrastructure in the U.S. specifically, and we we expect to happen in Europe as well. So Tesla is doing this on one part 
in order for it to sell its FSD software to other OEMs. So it's using the car as a Trojan horse of sorts to sell software. And the way that Tesla looks at the car is they already have the best cost economics on full electric cars because they started before everybody else. Their costs are on $100 a kilowatt hour, whereas others are $150 a kilowatt hour, costs way more. And if you look at their uh, their margins, they're 13 to 14% EBIT margins, whereas you know Ford, for example, their EV EBIT margins are like negative 40%, simply because they started later. So they have a better cost structure, and therefore what happens is they can afford to cut pricing, which is what they've done, to gain market share. So their argument is they want to sell as many cars as possible, gain market share, and put FSD in those Teslas, and which they believe they can make more profit off them, right? Because it's a software margin. Currently, FSD, they charge about $200 a month. So their plan is to cut the pricing and increase the take rate of that subscription, which maybe it means that you get less money for the FSD per car, but you get more cars taking FSD. And the other thing it does is, and this is where the charging infrastructure deal happens, it means they can sell FSD to other car makers. I don't know if they're gonna win all of these wins or other companies that are also doing this. You know, you have your, you know, Qualcomm, NVIDIA, Mobileye. They're also in this space, but certainly it gives them a, an ability to penetrate this market. So that's really how they're approaching it early on. And then longer term, they want to be, heavily in the, in the robo-taxi space themselves. They're big believers in this, and they believe they can not only make their own robo-taxi fleets, but also license robo-taxi software for carriers down the road. So Tesla is clearly ahead here and forward-looking. How do you think about market penetration in this sector uh, going forward? Tesla definitely, I think, has the leadership position on FSD. It has the most miles on the road. It doesn't mean that others are not progressing. But, you know, my analysis only has them capturing 25% FSD and robo-taxi penetration in the U.S., only 7 to 8% penetration of their own vehicles in China and Europe. And on the licensing of the software, I have them maxing out at 20% market share in the US, China, and in Europe. So that does give room for other folks that we spoke about, NVIDIA, Qualcomm, Mobileye, Google, Waymo, et cetera. So I don't think that they necessarily dominate the market. There are others that are you know, making strides, but I think they will be a substantive player. And the other thing I would add is, since things like RoboTaxi are so far away, you need to capitalize on this. You need to basically be able to take losses, spend a lot of capital for many years and capitalize on this whenever it comes. And so a company like Tesla, which has this giant market capitalization, Google, Waymo, which has a giant balance sheet market cap, maybe Apple, these are the companies that can afford to last that long, to see that light at the end of the tunnel. We all saw what happened with Ford and Volkswagen with their Argo joint venture. They couldn't fund it, so they closed it last year. That's another factor is those folks who are well-capitalized enough to survive, they may be the one that really sees the fruit of, of that investment at the end of the day. Well, Tom, this has been a fascinating conversation, and I think we could talk forever on this. And the whole opportunity is open-ended when you look at some of the things that autonomous vehicles could do for our society and do for the economy. Really appreciate your time today, and thank you very much for all the work that you did putting this robo-taxi primer out. 
What else lies ahead in today's ever-evolving markets and industries? We'll be keeping track right here on Industries in Motion. Until then, thank you for joining us today on this episode recorded June 30th, 2023. Make sure you subscribe to Industries in Motion wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.